Bible, I want you to go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'm really thankful and excited to join you guys um, this morning. Happy first Sunday of summer to many of you guys. You finished school this week. We all done. Finals are out. Doesn't matter how you did. You're here. So um, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6 um, if you haven't been there or haven't found it yet. We are going through a series specifically that's talking about the red words of the Bible. And there's a purpose behind um, the reason that it's called that. Um, If you do not know, in Bibles um, for many, many years and and centuries that certain words and letters were highlighted in red and they were to represent the points of which Jesus spoke. Now, there's significance to red. It wasn't neon pink. The color that they chose for Jesus because red has a lot of biblical significance. In fact, red would represent um, a dark red of blood. And in biblical times, that would represent two different things. It would represent death and it would also represent life. And in a way, when Jesus would speak, the words would bring death to certain parts of ourself and our flesh and our, our sinful nature. But in a way, it would bring life to them. And we believe that Jesus, when he speaks that, He helps us put to death certain things of our flesh, but in the same way, he brings life in new ways. Amen? In fact, Jesus would go and and say a lot of different things. Um, I'm going to put a picture of someone up on the board that maybe you guys have never recognized in your lives. It's your dad. No, I'm just kidding. That is Dr. Phil. You can take him off because I can't talk while that man is up there staring down my back. Now, I remember um, a friend of mine was telling me a really interesting story um, about the Dr. Phil show because I don't personally watch it. Um, But I remember that that on his show, he brought on a couple, um, and it it was known that the husband was abusing his wife. And he brings them on the show, and they're professing Christians. That. And so he brings them on, and he goes, well, well tell me, why, why do you treat your wife so disrespectfully? And he begins to go, well, in the Bible it says that my wife must submit to me, and so I have a right to treat her that way. And then Dr. Phil does something really interesting. He goes, oh, really? He's like, and what scripture is that? And he's like, well, Ephesians 5, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, have you read that entire passage? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, because that's part of the scripture is that the woman should be in submission. But what about the part where it says the husband should die to his wife the same way that Christ died to humanity? What about that part? What about the rest of the scripture? And Dr. Phil went, Pastor Phil on him, amen? You know, and it's like, it's like, okay, I'm going to watch some daytime television, Amen. And it's so funny how someone could get up there and say, well, it says this in the Bible. And it's like, well, did you read that? Did you actually read it? See, when it comes to the Bible and understanding Jesus and his words, you can take it secondhand through people around you. But what about reading what it actually says for yourself? What about that, Jesus, that speaks directly through us through the text? That was one of the significant things of Jesus of the day when he came to earth and he spoke to the people because he brought serious clarity to a word that was secondhand given amidst people's own opinions. And we find it here in a longer text. I'm actually going to read 21 verses to you guys, so I want you to track along. It's going to cover a couple different sections. 
Now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, that's okay. There are certain subtitles to each of the sections. Those were added later. So when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking this directly and straight. This is what it says. I want you to look at chapter 6, verse 1 with me. And I'm going to read this through. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it up. Or if you just want to listen, that's great as well. This is what Jesus would say to the people. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you say amen with me? Jesus goes through a multitude of topics. And to know something about this passage, it touches on giving prayer and fasting. And in Arabic culture for that day, there were three main things that you could do for God as a service. There were three major things. Can you guess what they are? Giving, prayer, and fasting. All of them represent something different. Prayer represents this communication to God. Fasting would represent that you're willing to give things up to God. And ultimately, giving means the same thing, that you're willing to give your life for something greater than yourself rather than you selfishly taking it. But... Something interesting about this passage is one thing I just want to say right off the bat. It says when, not if. And so, really fast, not going to relate to the message, but I think it's important to know. Jesus doesn't say if you fast or if you give or if you pray. He says when. That when we relate to God, that these are givens of how we're to relate to him. That we are people of prayer, that we are people of fasting, we are people of giving. Amen? But, this passage isn't just about giving, praying, and fasting. See, it can be easy to look at this and say, all right, well, I know what I need to do. I need to fast, I need to pray, and I need to give. 
this passage is not about that. There's a theme that Jesus gets to in all of these topics that relates to one another. And it begins with the very first verse. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What it's not saying is if anybody sees you do a nice thing, you sin. But what it says is to be seen by them. This is a passage that's about the motives of our heart that Jesus speaks to. See, the culture of the day was religious, to say the least, but not very relational to God. You guys understand what I mean when I say that? That a lot of their following of God was a matter of just earning a reputation from the people around them. When they prayed, they did it to look good in front of people. When they fasted, they did it to look good in front of people. And when they gave, they did it to look good in front of people. And I think that's, that's a, ultimately just putting on a show to the people around them. And yet, here comes Jesus, the Son of God, taking on human flesh, and he just, he just blows it up. There's no other way to say he blows up that hypocrisy and that way of thinking. See, Jesus is, I love Jesus for this reason, because he can smell duplicity or selfishness disguised in the form of obedience from a mile away. Amen? Jesus can sniff it out the minute that someone's heart is duplicit or they have ulterior motives. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus chose the 12 disciples to be his apostles, the ones that he did, was because these were just ordinary fishermen. What was special about them? Well, they were honest. They were genuine people that could follow orders and that could listen to Jesus and weren't going to be duplicit. See... What's even more fascinating about this passage, it's not like Jesus is saying, well, fast here and stop sinning in private. That's not what he's saying. He says that when you are following God, you need to do it in an honest way. In a way, he's not saying that you're sinning here and you need to to have good deeds here. What he says is this, you're sinning while you're obeying me. He says, in the way that you obey me when you fast and you give and you pray is actually for yourselves, and by that way you're sinning. You're not really following me. Jesus doesn't come in and say that you need to pray, fast, and give, but what he says is that when you do it, you need to do it for God and not for those around you. For me to read a passage like this is very convicting. I don't know about you and how you feel, amen? Because in our day and age, and in our culture, I think it hits right at home in what we experience today, both with ourselves and I would dare to even say with our own faith. We live in a culture that isn't private whatsoever, but we have to have everyone know what we are doing in order to feel validated. You just look at the way that we relate to one another. You look at the way that social media works, that there is not a private moment, that it is all about appearances. You know, Time Magazine printed an article, and it said that the worst possible app for our social health is this, Instagram. Want to know why? It's image-based. It's all about the way that you look. It's all about the outer appearances, whether it's how you look at other people or the way that you perceive other people looking at you. It creates an unhealthiness to who you are. And now they can actually trace social and mental disorders based on social media alone. Isn't that crazy? But many of us understand that and we know what that pressure feels like to be image-based or to worry about how people may see us or worry about how we see other people. In fact, 
some of us might call our culture impressive in the fact that we are always trying to impress someone or something and act like we're not. My question for you this morning is, who are you trying to impress in your life? Everyone is trying to impress someone. Everyone is trying to be validated by someone or something in their lives, whether it's a way of thought, whether it's an actual person, whether it's a people group, whether it's a grade, whether it's an acceptance into a certain job or school. But the fact of the matter is everyone is trying to impress and to be seen by someone. And who or what is that is a major question that we all get to ask ourselves. Amen? And when you live in a way that you're trying to impress anyone or anything other than God, that becomes a place of living by the very image around you. When you care more about what man or the world around you thinks more than God. There's an apologeticist named Ravi Zacharias who um, has this interesting series about King Saul. Maybe you guys have heard of him. This was a king in Israel's day, someone who was destined to be one of the greatest kings in Israel, but he turned away from God. And in the process, God anointed another king that maybe you've heard of, King David. And in the process, Saul in his own selfishness and his own life sought to destroy David, but didn't. And actually, his own falling away from the Lord was his demise and his death, in fact. But some people would say that with Saul, Ravi would say that with Saul, the real downfall was in that he started to care more what other people thought than what God thought. You can see that played out in one instance where he says, to the prophet of the day, he says, come back with me before the people so that we look good to them. It's like, look good? You sinned and you need to own your sin. You're more worried about your image. And he said this quote that I want us to hear this morning. And it's this. It's a true tragedy when we worry more about our image than our reality. It becomes a true tragedy in each of our lives when our image becomes more important than our reality. See, all of us have a reality of who we really are, but we also have a perception of who we are. We have an image that is given to people whether it is right or whether it is wrong. And all of us get to make a decision about what kind of person we want to be, and we all get to make a decision about where we really want to address our resources and our effort and our time and our character and our commitment. Do you want to address it to your reality, or do you want to address it to the image that is you? The minute that it becomes about the validation of your image to people is the minute that you begin to split yourself into two different people. This is what I mean by it. The minute that you think it's about your image and not about your reality is the minute that you begin to neglect your reality. How many have ever seen two people and one person get neglected? Maybe in a family. Or you've seen something that needed attention and you didn't give to it. doesn't go well. All right? If some one thing gets attention and the other thing dies. All right? Think about plants. If you don't water the plant, it's going to die. And that's a result of neglect. It's the same thing. If we're so focused on our image around people, how do we look? What do they think about us rather than what you really are experiencing and how you really feel? That will be neglected and left to die within you. Some of us in this room don't even know who we are because we think about our image so much that we have no room to think about how we're actually doing. You just feel things, but you can't ever put your finger to it because you don't take the time to think about it. In fact, it would be almost as ridiculous as taking a dead plant 
and painting it green and saying it's fine. No, you need to water it. No, you need to take care of it. No, well, I'm just going to paint it. But that's taking care of an appearance, not how it's actually doing. What are you doing in your life? Are you hurting and dying on the inside? Are you in a place where you're split and your reality of who you are is hurting and broken, yet you're just painting yourself to look the part? Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. That when the thing that you truly fear is what people think about you, it becomes a snare in your own life, and it keeps you from moving forward in your relationship with God, which ultimately is who you really are. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe from such snares in our lives. Amen? See, I think the same thing can happen in our own faith when we begin to address the outside things. And I get, I get it, guys. Can I just tell you something that one of the hardest things for me in my personal relationship in my life in addressing the Lord, guess what? You want to know what it is? Is becoming a pastor. Isn't that an interesting thing about it? I wasn't expecting that. Because for me, I, it was easy to follow God. It was easy to spend time with the Lord. But then all of a sudden, I get put in a position where I'm leading others. And it could be really easy to do stuff for God, but never be with God. You know what's interesting? I remember one of my leaders telling me this before marriage that really convicted me and instilled a healthy fear in my life. It's that a lot of people get divorced when kids go off to college. And this is why. They never address their personal marriage. They're just doing stuff. They're taking care of the kids. They're taking care of the home. They're taking care of work. They're doing the things that married people do except being married. And by the time that the kids leave for college, they look at each other and they're just ghosts because they don't even know one another. There's all this outward appearance, but deep down on the inside, there's nothing there. They don't even, they're just strangers. And for us, we have a decision to make that if we're going to be about the outward things of God, but not actually know God himself. See, when it becomes image-based, we begin to believe that our faith is healthy and good because it looks good on the outside. And can I just tell you this morning, equally convicted, that you can go to church, that you can learn when to sing, you can learn when to sit, you can learn when to serve and when to be quiet, when to get up, but if there's no private pursuit of Jesus, it's just a game at that point. Church was never meant to be a game, even though it can definitely be treated like one. Amen? But when Jesus is something that you pursue, not because of any outward thing or to impress anyone around you or to seek validation from someone other than God, then it becomes life-giving. That's when you start to have a real relationship with God before you. If you're in this room and you've been struggling to see God in your life, start here. Don't start by wondering what people think about you. Don't worry about the outward appearances because really the only thing in the genesis of your relationship with God is, guess what? A relationship with God. Amen? See, there's a kingdom reward rule in this passage that's put forth. It's this. It's that whoever you are seeking the approval of in this life, you will get. That's why it says, Jesus says three times, he says, Truly I will tell you, they have received their reward in full when they're seeking man's approval. If you want just people to be blindfully impressed with you, then he says, you can have that. If you want to be impressed for a season of time, 
whether it's a few days, a few weeks, or a few years, he says, you can have that. You can have people who don't really know you inside and out, impressed with you, but wouldn't you rather be validated by the God who knows you inside and out and will always approve you and always stand up for you? Who are you trying to impress in your life? And what does your private relationship with God look like? So what do we do? I think it's recognizing one thing really fast. It's this. Your private faith becomes your overall faith. What is happening on the inside, what is happening behind closed doors, your walk with God, and I'm not just saying, read your Bible, pray your prayers. That's not just it. Those are important. But this is your personal walk with Jesus. If you were to take away church, if you were to take away your friends, if you were to take away camps, if you were to take away retreats and mission trips and all those things, what does you and God look like if it even looks like anything? That's a good question to ask yourself that I get the privilege to ask myself every day too. See, Jesus is genius because he commands us to do something that has to be genuine. He goes, well, if you want to pray, go behind closed doors where nobody is. Ah, but that means I can't be impressive to anyone. But when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Ah, but that means if I don't really care, then, then other people can't care. I know. Because this isn't about other people. This is about you and me. Many of you guys know the parable of the sower. It's a story where Jesus talks about seeds that are planted, and he talks about the seed being the word of God. But I think it's a beautiful picture of how our faith looks like, too. Have you noticed that whether the tree lives or the plant lives or dies is everything that's happening under the surface? It's the unseen things that lead to life or lead to death. It's not the above ground stuff. It's the under the ground. It's the stuff that's happening deep in the dirt, deep in the trenches with the seed and with the roots. It's the places that aren't as glorious or as glamorous that faith flourishes or diminishes. Jesus would even go as far to talk to the religious rulers of the day. And he says, woe to you, Pharisees. He says, you guys are like these cups. And he says, you're like these cups that are clean on the outside. He says, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, you guys are disgusting on the inside. And then he says this brilliant, brilliant word for all of us if you're in this place. He says, first clean the inside of it, and then the outside will become clean. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You wanna, if you want to worry about your image in any way of how to take care of it, it's this. Take care of deep inside of you first. And then naturally, you'll be clean on the outside. See, even then, when it comes to appearances, you can tell when something is healthy and true and good or not. In fact, the Bible would say if you're like this beautiful person who shows no discretion, you're like putting a gold ring in a pig's nose. In fact, that would be like doing this. It would be like having two trees. One of them's beautiful and flourishing this tall. And then you have another tree that's taller and has more branches, but it's dead. And you're like, well, that tree's better because it has more branches. It's like, but it's dead. And you can just kind of tell. In the same way, you could look at a person and go, wow, they look like they have it together. Man, they're really But you can clearly see that they're dead on the inside because they're living off insecurity and off the approval of people around them. 
Who are you trying to impress? And what does your private faith look like? If you eliminated everything in your life on the outside, church, friends, camps, etc., what does your faith look like when it gets stripped down to that point? See, Jesus is someone who really could not care less about our image. Amen? He doesn't. He doesn't care. You want to know what he cares about? He cares about you. He cares about your well-being. And he cares about your heart. Jesus doesn't care how you are perceived by the world around you because he has way deeper and more important things to care about. He cares about your heart. God would speak to the prophet Samuel. Many of us know this verse. Do not consider the appearance or his height, speaking of another person that they were looking at. He says, for I've rejected him. And he says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When you spend alone time with God, when it's not about impressing other people, that's when you get down to matters of the heart. That's why Jesus said what he did about praying and fasting and giving and many other things as you continue to read on through the Bible. So my question for you this morning is all about private faith. It has nothing to do with our gathering that's here today. It's a great gathering. I love our gathering. But in the same way, I hope I share the heart of God that I don't care how you guys appear to one another or to other people. I care about your heart and your well-being and your faith with Jesus. 